This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In a sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. My guest today is Harvard-trained sociologist and best-selling author Martha Beck. Martha's new book is called The Way of Integrity, Finding the Path to Your True Self. In it, she explores how profoundly and beautifully our lives shift when we're living in alignment with our true nature, or as she puts it, living in integrity. Today, we talk about the ways we sublimate our own truths to be accepted within our circles and in society as a whole, like the little lies we tell to keep the peace or the different masks we wear to fit in. We talk about how to recognize when we're living in duplicity, and she shares steps we can take if we're scared that unearthing our truth will be too painful. Our conversation was one of my all-time favorites, and I can't wait to share it all with you. So let's get to my chat with Martha Beck. So happy to be talking to you. So happy to be talking to you. What 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 is the date of publication of the book? April thirteenth. For maximum unluckiness. <laughs> <laughs> no, I doubt that. I mean, I think this is going to be a real bestseller. This is a great one. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. This book, The Way of Integrity, is so incredibly profound and insightful. And it's also a workbook and, you know, like eminently usable. And, Aww. you know, I, I could, because I thought, and I'll get into it a little bit later, but when I read, oh, it sort of uses the divine comedy as a framework to break down the process of attaining integrity. I was like, wow, that sounds very academic. And I know you're a Harvard, you're an old Harvard gal multiple oh, times. Yeah. So I did think, wow, this is going to be really sort of academic or lofty. And the truth is like, it's so visceral and so helpful and really covers, I mean, you, you say it so succinctly when you talk about 
integrity being, you know, the, the, the cure for unhappiness. And it just yeah. opened up, you know, so many questions for me. So I guess what I would like to start with is how do you in, define integrity or being an in integrity? Such a great question, because a lot of people think about immediately think Sunday school, right? Oh, be sanctimonious and pious. And I, what it really means is integer to be one thing, whole and undivided. So that's why we say there's structural integrity. If there's a machine, I use the metaphor of an airplane in the book. If it's in structural integrity, it flies. If it's not, it crashes. And your life is in structural integrity when all the pieces of yourself are working together for the same ends. And then you can fly. And if you can't, if you're not aligned, you crash. When we are born, are we in integrity? Yes, I absolutely think that we're born in pure integrity. And that's why so many masters of different spiritual and wisdom traditions have said that if you are like you were when you were an infant. I mean, Jesus used it, obviously, but so did the Buddha and a lot of other wisdom teachers. They say, go back to being the child you were before you were born, like pure. And the reason for that is that once you start being socialized and babies are socialized from very early, you lose the purity of your natural instincts. Like a five-month-old baby, if they put him on a on a dais that's made of plexiglass, and then they put the, his mother behind a screen, he goes to the plexiglass and it's clear. So, and he's got two fears. We're born with two fears, fear of loud noises, fear of falling. So he looks through this thing and he goes, I don't know, I could fall. He looks at his mother once like that, like a millisecond. If the mother smiles, he will crawl and explore. If the mother looks scared, he will never go out on that surface. So the moment we're born, we're glad. Imagine how many times you glanced at your caretaker's face when you were a baby. Every single expression landed in you and taught you what the world was about. So that now you probably have a lot of fears. You were born with just two, and then you end up by the age of three, you're afraid of everything. At 30, you just want to go jump in a lake somewhere, right? And it's all because you've lost the purity of knowing that the world is safe and whole and you are safe and whole within it. So you've lost the purity of that knowledge because of the judgments of other people? Yeah, that and difficult experiences. So, I mean, when I make a statement like integrity is the cure for unhappiness, I want you to know how hard they beat me with shovels at Harvard for making any kind of false generalization right? Like when I say that, it means I have tested it for 30 freaking years on thousands of people. So the, the judgments of others really condition us away from our original innocence. And then if we have a difficult experience, say you get bitten by a dog when you're five, you may be afraid of dogs from then on. So there are a couple of generalizations I did make. One is that integrity is the cure for unhappiness. And the other is that the only thing that divides us from our true selves the only two things are socialization and trauma. And by trauma, I mean, like being bitten by a dog, it doesn't have to be a huge trauma. But those two things will school us away from our nature and into ways of living that are much less happy. And it's just fascinating because it seems like these things happen incrementally and we get further and further away from ourselves, whether it's trauma yeah. or a bad experience or the way that we're socialized in our community. And there's a set of rules that we are yeah. implicitly or explicitly told you need to yeah. be this way. And so 
we just do it. You know, we just sublimate our own truths in order to, to be what, to be accepted by society, to be accepted, to be cherished, to be treasured. And the things we give up, what we give up when we lose our integrity is any sense of what's really true for us. So one of the things I like to do when I'm speaking to groups back in pre-COVID days is, I, you know, chatting away, maybe there's 500 people and I'll just stop in the middle and say, is everyone comfortable? And they look at me like, yeah, yeah. And they nod and I say, seriously, is, are you comfortable? And they're like, yes, we're comfortable Then Get on with the speech. And then I say, how many of you, if you were home in your own house alone right now, would be sitting in exactly the position you're in right now? And not a hand goes up. And then I say, why? And they think like brilliant people sit there for five minutes going, why would I be sitting in a different position? And then they finally realize, oh, I'm not really comfortable. And the fact that they're slightly uncomfortable is not a problem for me, but the fact that they are slightly uncomfortable and can look me straight in the eye and swear that they're absolutely comfortable and believe it while they know they're not comfortable, that is the schism. That's when we leave our true selves and say, given that I've been socialized to sit in straight back chairs for long periods of time, this is tolerable. And that becomes comfort for us. And we lose the true sense of our bodies and our nature. Which is so damaging, you know, when you extrapolate that out through a life and you understand how, what happens to our, us, not only psychologically, but physically, how we turn that duplicity that we don't even know we have into symptoms or whatever, right? So how yeah, the body hates it. The body hates it. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about, like, if you had to trace how we lose our integrity and what we have to tell ourselves in order, like, what is the process? Because it feels so bad to be out of integrity. So how do we get there? So if you grew up in a family where you were loved, given freedom and support, probably your nature went along with the culture of that family pretty well. Then you might've gone, say you go out into the school district and have a bit of dyslexia or something. Suddenly you're being shamed, you're being castigated, you're being, you know, negatively incentivized to do all these things. And you don't, you're completely innocent, but you start to learn, I am bad. There's something essentially wrong with me. I'm defective. Now, if your family is not fully capable of embracing your true nature, that starts, as I said, when you're not even talking yet, you do something and suddenly the energy in the room goes cold. And if you don't think energy is a real thing, you know, try sitting in a room with people who hate your politics, <laughs> like you will feel it. And so the baby starts to track. I was talking to Jill Bolte Taylor, who she did a famous TED talk called My Stroke of Insight about how she lost the left side of her brain for a period after a stroke. And she had no language and no social guile. And she said, I didn't, I didn't recognize my mother, but I knew my mother's energy. And it, when somebody comes to you with energy, when a baby does something that the family disapproves of, both physically and energetically, the family will, will shut down on that child. For a human child, that is literally a death sentence. We are so dependent. And so we immediately learn to pick up those signals and do exactly what we're expected to do. And by the time we're talking, we're already separate from ourselves and we don't even know it. 
Well, that's the, that's the scary thing. And then I think that's where children start to act out from that place because they, they don't know, they just think that they're bad or they feel full of shame and they don't understand where it's coming from and that they're not responsible for that, that bifurcation that has happened initially when they're little. They don't even see it. Nobody sees it. The child will feel it or the adult will feel it as suffering, emotional suffering of some kind. And this is why I say that integrity is the cure for unhappiness. Because when we're being absolutely true to ourselves, there's nothing that that tears us away from what we deeply know to be true. Mm. So the child, as you said, will try and try and try to be perfect in the system, perfect for the parents, perfect for the school, perfect in some way. The only flaw in the system is that the child's true nature never stops living. So you can carry that all the way into old age and it will still hurt. And you may turn to, as you said, you may develop physical symptoms. I did develop chronic pain when I was 18 that lasted for decades, actually. You could turn to drugs and alcohol to try, not because you're bad, but because you're trying to be something that is not intrinsically you and that hurts and to keep doing it you need something to to ease the pain because the return to integrity doesn't look possible when you don't even know you're split and so what happens if our idea of being in integrity doesn't match up with our community yeah we all face that problem as soon as you decide that you're going to be in total integrity with yourself here's the thing there's a dichotomy between nature, which is what you really are, and culture, which is the way people condition you to be. And if you follow integrity, you will, not may, but will, at some point break the rules of one of the cultures that socialized you. So it could be local, it could be your family, it could be national, ethnic, whatever. But if you follow your true nature, culture will eventually suffer from it. Because culture's rule is to keep everybody doing the same thing, And if people break the rules of the culture, which by the way, is the only way we ever move forward into more enlightened ways of being. But if people break the rules, then everybody in the system feels it as instability. And it's very, very frightening. It's like if you change a puzzle piece, all the pieces around it have to change to fit. So we're all under this intense pressure to accept the cultural rules, whatever they are. And if you go with your true nature, there's a place in the book where I say, take the no lie challenge. Yes. And that's what you did for a year. I've been doing it for like five years now. I decided I was going to not tell a single lie for a calendar year, which made me a very slow talker. People would say, how are you doing? And I'd be like, wait, I have to find out. But what happened during that year was that I got back my health, my sanity, my ability to be happy, but I lost my family of origin, my community of origin, my job, my industry, my marriage, my home. I lost pretty much everything. I I like to say burn every bridge, but truth or burn every bridge, but love, because it's the same thing. But I was in systems that were very antithetical to my particular nature. So when I stopped lying for a year, the crap really hit the fan. And for the first time in years, I got healthy and happy. In the midst of all that loss, I was happy for the first time. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best 
from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Why is our tribe and our culture so threatened by us getting into integrity? What, what is the trigger? I think it's the fact that it's difficult to learn. Learning is actually something that's, for children, it's relatively effortless because the brain is full of something called fluid intelligence at that point. And as we learn, it turns into what they call crystallized intelligence. So most people by the age of 23 have crystallized the, the rules they need to live by in their heads and they don't have to learn anymore. But if someone then comes in and says, I disagree with the way the system is working, what if can can you really justify this and this and this, you know, sexism, racism, whatever? And oh, now I have to think again. I have to take apart the things my family taught me, the things my religion taught me. I have to rethink and potentially say or do something that the people around me won't like. Oh, I don't, no, 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 no. You know, I don't want that at all. And everybody is part of that sort of unconscious conspiracy of everybody's okay the way we are and we don't want to have to learn. It's too hard and we don't know what's on the other side. And that's really scary. It's an unfortunate theme, I think, in being human that we don't love to do the hard work. You know, it's like we, we like somebody to solve it for us. It's a strange aspect of being human that, you know, pain scares us, suffering scares us, accountability scares us. And I, I, I imagine that, you know, being in integrity makes, as you just said, with what happened to your life when you chose to do it, like choosing a path of true integrity can really cause some flare-ups. Yeah, I should add though, in case everybody's out there going, well, I don't want that. <laughs> that what I got back was the, the, the job I want. I mean, a dream job. Are you kidding? I go to Africa and run safaris with people to change their lives. And people say, how did you get that job? And I'm like, I made it up. They're like, it doesn't exist. Once you're outside the boundaries that have kept your mind encased, you get to go with what brings you joy and what brings other people joy. So what I got back was the work I loved, the people I loved, um, the relationships that really nourished me, a healthy body for the first time, freedom from compulsions and addictions, like bliss compared to what I was like before I stopped telling lies. And now I try never to tell a lie. And that's been going on for the last five years, at least. You it pisses some people off. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, you know, the truth is, I think it probably d depends on the degree of honesty that that person lives in or not, right? Because I think people who living in honesty and integrity, they can take straight talk usually. And those who can't get yeah. super triggered. 
It's so interesting. I took that pledge on, on at a New Year's Eve party with a bunch of Mormons. I was raised Mormon. And I said, here's my resolution. We were going around the room. I'm not going to lie once for a year. And everyone in the room looked like they went, they went chalk white and they were like, don't do that. And I'm like, but are, aren't we supposed to be for honesty? Is that? And they were like, just don't do it. Don't do it. And I was like, okay, but I'm going to. <laughs> and they went away forever. How do we even begin to connect to our truth? Like, if you're mm. not going to lie for a year, how those of us who have, you know, always said, how are you? And don't talk slowly and say, oh, I'm fine. Thanks. How are you? When that's absolutely not the case. Like, and that's just a small lie or you know, can you come to dinner on Thursday? Oh, I'd love to, but I can't, you know, a butler lie like that. How do we begin? What is the practice? How do we begin to hear our own truth if we are so disconnected from it? Yeah, we have one unfailing ally that will never let us down and its name is suffering. It's the one thing that really gets our attention. You know, if you think, oh, if there's a higher power that loves us, why do we suffer? It's because Without suffering, we would sit on hot burners. We would, we would dismember ourselves accidentally. We need pain to tell us what's, what hurts us. And emotional pain tells us what we're doing that's wrong for us. When I coach people and when I train coaches, I always say we start with the area of least satisfaction or of greatest suffering. So if somebody's super happy, you can still go in where it's least happy. But most people are suffering to some degree. And the psyche is so arranged that the deeper the lie and the more pivotal and central the lie, the greater the pain. Mm -hmm. So if you go into the 12 step rooms, you'll find people standing up and saying, I'm an alcoholic. And then they will start talking about the places they've sold themselves out, the places they've hurt other people, the things that hurt most. And just in the telling of that truth, there's no therapist there or nothing. It's just as they tell the truth, they come into that alignment with self. They come into integrity. And that does the job that alcohol was doing or that drugs were doing. And that's why basically these people have a regimen of truth telling. And you start with whatever is, hurts you the most and you find a safe place, a safe person to listen. It's a therapy. That's the reason therapy works too. You go in and say the truth to someone who won't judge you. And you talk first and most about the things that are most painful. It's really very simple. And then those pains get less and less and you go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And once your life is completely clear of lies, I just did it to be honest. And what I found out was it lands you squarely in a, a world that is magical and beautiful and generative and astonishing. And that's when I decided to write this book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you say in the introduction, when you experience unity of intention, fascination and purpose, you live like a bloodhound on a scent, joyfully doing what feels truest in each moment. Your daily work, whether it's writing computer code gardening or building houses is so absorbing that at the end of the day, you don't really want to stop. But when you do, you enjoy hanging out with loved ones so much and sleep is so delicious. You can't imagine anything sweeter. And when you wake up the next morning, the day ahead seems so enticing, you practically bound out of bed. Now, how inspirational is that? <laughs> it's real. I mean, 30 years I've been doing this, Gwyneth. 30 years I've been testing it on myself and everyone I can catch <laughs> and, and the people who come to me. And it 
actually works. And it's so simple. I mean, every wisdom tradition you'll find in the world will say the truth will set you free. When you say, here's my truth, it's your own truth that sets you free, not anyone else's. And all the wisdom traditions tell us that. And what about when the truth is buried or really hard to access? Like, for example, in your case, in the book, you tell this harrowing story of bleeding in a hallway and then what it led you to remember about your, your truth. So does it just catch up with you? I mean, there, I have friends who have been through incredible abuse similar to yours and blocked out much of, you know, chunks of their lives. I have one of my best friends at the moment. She's you know, she's scared to go into therapy because she doesn't remember a few years of her lives and she's petrified what might lie there. As an abuse survivor and somebody, how how were you able, why do you think that truth finally surfaced and how can other people who have endured similar things where the truth has been so obfuscated and buried for so many years, how, how can that process be facilitated? Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. I call it the archaeology of self. Like, you know, archaeologists dig down through layers and layers of time, like they're digging in the dirt, but it's the sediment of years and centuries. And the deeper you go, the more you find out about the source, the source code of whatever you're looking at. And so as you start digging, there are times, and I just started digging by saying, I'm not going to lie anymore. And studies have shown that people who say they're not going to lie for a week suddenly have, they tell fewer lies. Most of us tell quite a few little social lies, like the ones you were talking about. But even just saying they're not going to do that for a few weeks, they have fewer doctor's appointments, less illness, that is. They have better relationships. Their mood goes up just from taking a pledge that they won't lie for a couple of of months or weeks. So when you start doing that, you start to realize, oh, this is what the truth feels like. And then somebody asks you something that's not such a simple social lie. They say something like, do you really feel good about uh, the job you're in? And you're suddenly you're, you're like, wait, wait, I you know, I didn't know it, but I'm not comfortable. Like if somebody says, are you comfortable in your chair? Yes. Really? Feel it. Look inside. Is there discomfort? Oh my God, you're right. And as you start to notice the discomfort of those lies and, and they're innocent lies, they're lies you tell because you don't know any better, but you dig down and you dig down. And this is what I believe Dante was writing about this in the Divine Comedy because he goes down and down and down and down into his own personal hell. And there comes a point where as therapists say, the only way out is through. And that's how the Divine Comedy is set up. He has to go through hell to get to paradise. And when he gets down, it gets worse and worse and worse. And at the center of hell, it's not fiery in Dante, it's ice. It's a monster locked in ice. And if you've ever had depression or repressed memory that was a big part of your psyche, it feels as if part of you is frozen and it's your heart that's frozen. It's your soul that's frozen and it is unfreaking bearable. And as you get braver and braver with telling deeper and deeper truths, that truth comes to face you. And I really urge people in the book, when you get to the place like your friend where you're afraid of the next step, be very gentle, be very, go slowly, be kind, be safe, 
find a cocoon. Do not go in there alone. Dante doesn't, he brought the ghost of the poet Virgil, you know, to be his teacher. Don't go in those places by yourself. As they say in AA, my mind is a dangerous neighborhood. I try not to go there alone. What would your advice be to those people though, who are terrified to start that excavation process? I mean, do you recommend that they still go through it, even though it's so daunting? And I would say do whatever causes the least suffering. Right. But I will tell you this, the longer you go, the longer you harbor painful secrets or not, the word lie is really loaded, but these are mistruths that we don't know. We were taught to believe them. The longer you carry those, the more painful they become. And the place where you remember is when remembering that, which is absolutely God awful. I mean, I would not ask my worst enemy to go through that. Like when I started having the intrusive flashback memories, oh Lord, no, I don't want anybody to go through that. But what I always tell people when I'm coaching them is this is the pain you've been harboring all along. What you're feeling is it going out. So it's much like poisoned food. It's not fun to throw up. It's like peak, not fun to throw up, but it's more fun than dying from the poison you won't throw up. (laughs) I'm so sorry that people go through trauma and I'm so sorry that recovery is so hard, but it is worth it. And you will be as happy, like if happy is a, a level, a horizontal line and you're way below it because of trauma, and then you go through hell and you get better, you don't just reach the, the normal line. You go as high above that line as you once were below it. So the capacity to reach paradise is directly linked to the ability to go through the deepest parts of hell. And it is worth it. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. How did you align this theory with Dante? My daughter, when she was in high school, wrote a paper where she said this novel is a psychography of the author. In other words, he's describing his inner life through the characters in the book. And I was like, ah, that's very Jungian of you. So I started reading everything that way. And when I got to Dante and I, I read the part about going through hell and as, as he continues in the same direction through the center of the earth, he is suddenly going up. And so all he goes through all this torment all the way down to the last lines of the inferno. And then the, the very, very last few little lines say, and so we, we came out the other direction and once again beheld the stars. And it's so simple. And I thought, that's what I'm trying to do in therapy. That's what's happening. And so then I read his Purgatorio and Paradiso, the other parts of the of the Divine Comedy, as if he were saying, this is a, a hint. This is a set of metaphors that will take you through your suffering and into happiness. And I found that it works incredibly well to the point where I now believe he was deliberately putting in metaphors that would help us psychologically go from suffering all the way to through to complete happiness, like absolute bliss. 
very much the same way the ancient Asian masters or other awakened beings have done all, all through history, all over the world. So is it an axiom then that we all need to have our own sort of hero's journey in this fashion in order to get to a state of integrity? That is so well noticed because yeah, the hero's journey starts with a call to adventure and it's like, and the next step is that the hero says, no, no way, I'm not going there, but the call won't stop coming. And then the hero says, oh, all right. And always, and this is in, this is Joseph Campbell's sort of anthology of thousands of different folk stories and legends all over the world. There's always the catabasis, the, the, the hero has to go underneath. So he has to go to the underworld or she has to go to the underworld. And only in the underworld, having confronted our deepest suffering, do we get the gift that comes from the, the other realm, the spirit realm. And then we're invited to bring it back to the other people we know in our regular lives. And once again, the hero always refuses because it turns out that going there to get the gift is such a magical experience that going back to what we call normal life sounds unbearable. But once again, the call won't stop happening and the hero reemerges. I think everyone's life is a hero's journey. And is the gift that the hero inadvertently gets, is that a set of tools or is that enlightenment? I think, well, it is, it's what you would call awakening or enlightenment. It's, it's hard to find a word in English. It's hard to find a word in any language because what it is, it's the, it's the ability of consciousness in a human mind to recognize itself as the pure consciousness of all things. They actually have studied this in, in my book. I quote this neurological research where the neurologist who's been studying this forever, Andrew Newberg, he says, not only is enlightenment a measurable brain trait, but we are biologically programmed to seek it. It's our happiest self. So what happens as you, you metaphorically come up from the underworld or what happens in the underworld is that you lose two things and they can see it when the, the brain changes this way. One is the part, the activity ceases in the part of the brain that divides self and other. And the other part that turns off is the part that feels in control. So what happens, this is the gift and it, it takes different forms. You know, Eckhart Tolle calls it the now. Jesus called it the kingdom of God and Buddha called it the, the jewel at the heart of the lotus. People use all these metaphors, but what it is, when we drop the sense of self, we suddenly realize that all things are us and we are all things. And that is like falling in love times a trillion. Think about the most in love you've ever been. Times that by a trillion, that's what we feel when the self-other divide goes away. Then the control part is where all effort goes away. And suddenly you find yourself doing things in this very, like a bloodhound on a scent, sort of naturally moving from thing to thing and going, like you say, why did I use Dante for this? The fact is, I don't remember choosing to. It just happened. <laughs> I was just like, I guess I'll do this. I don't remember making the decision. But we are led instead of controlling things. So this incredible gift is the thing we fear most that we will lose ourselves and that we will lose control. And yet when we voluntarily sacrifice those two things, we can emerge into this absolute love 
where we don't have to do anything, mm-hmm. just being done with us. Wow, that's really beautiful. It is actually so beautiful. I think Shakespeare went through it. If you read The Tempest, his last play, and he talks about we are such stuff as dreams are made of, he awakened out of thinking that this short, brutal life is all there is. And when I was at Harvard, I was told that the reason Shakespeare had hope in his last plays is that he had gone senile. (laughs) But actually, if you read King Lear and then read The Tempest, they are the same character before and after awakening. He did it, Walt Whitman did it, Teresa of Avila did it. This has been happening to individuals all over the world through all of history. But it's inexplicable. So we don't really talk about it. I think that it's especially difficult in the time we're living in now because the distractions and like my my kids, this digitally native generation who are pummeled with distraction all day. And my fear is how do you, I mean, I guess eventually, like my dad always said, (laughs) I never met anyone that didn't get hammered. And I think (laughs) life, life kicks the shit out of everybody at some point, you know, how you end up getting close to yourself. But I, I sort of wonder in this generation, if that's going to be protracted because they have all this, you know, it's like drugs, you know, it's like all these endorphin boosting Ways it could, that, it could be that they're being given instruments that will help at a crucial time in human history. Because what Dante did after he had his experience was he came back and he spent years writing this epic poem that changed the Italian language, changed the Catholic Church, changed the governing systems of Europe, changed the global worldview ultimately, because he'd had this insight. That was his gift for the people, was the divine comedy. I interviewed people that I thought had really gone to enlightenment and to a person, they all turned to service and people who've suffered will get out of it through serving others. So everybody's going to get, as Hemingway said, life breaks us all and the best of us become strong at the broken places. Right now, the world's more broken than it's ever been. The ecosystems are broken. The politics are broken. Everything is broken, broken. And we have a generation of people who know that they can connect wirelessly with anyone else on earth, who know that a virus can change every person's life on this whole planet within a month, two weeks, who know, I mean, once you realize that your computer can do things wirelessly, you realize that your body is also an electrical system, just like a computer, except yours is made of meat. And the capacity to imagine the connection of all beings becomes much easier for these kids. And they're like, oh, these kids. I love talking like a grand. Oh, these kids, I don't know. We used to just eat gravel when I was young and we loved it. You get in some ways more suffering and more fear that the suicide rate for young people is astronomical and rising. And it's because it's the world is more terrifying than ever. And they're more fragmented than ever by the, the everything. And if they can go through the hero's journey, they come back with almost infinite capacity to transform everything. And what happens, I think, is that it starts to roll out. People start to almost catch it from one another and begin to awaken. And I I realized when I was in my 20s, I guess, that I was not the only person in the world who'd been 
born, or at least from before I could remember, thinking I would be part of a huge transformation in the way people live on the earth. It was just, I just sort of knew I was here for that. I never talked to anyone about it. And then I started noticing other people who were saying the same thing. And now I see it everywhere. And I think it's like, okay, we're right at the brink, you know, wake up or die, basically. And these kids are going through hell so that they can take everything to heaven. That's what I think. That and it's, I'm so glad mothers like you are loving them. Oh, that is so sublimely optimistic. And I, I love reframing <laughs> that. I really, I thank you for reframing that for me. I really, I appreciate it because sometimes I come at it from a place of worry, but you know, from within your context, like that's, that's actually very helpful. Speaking of kids, you touch on in the book, how achieving is sort of the antidote for being out of integrity, right? You, you've, well, you kind of learn from, you learn from your school or your culture, you need to do this. And so we achieve and achieve and achieve. And that isn't necessarily at all in alignment with our integrity. And, and so I was wondering like for people who are super high achievers, right. Who are obviously driven by what you articulate as the core, you know, being unlovable, right. That must be fueling all this hyper and it doesn't have to be from parents. It can be from, you can gather that data from a lot of different places, but that you're not good enough on some level. And that's like at the core of this whole thing. And I'm a person who has been very driven to achieve. And I think not a lot of it is necessarily positive. And so in this chapter of my life, I'm trying to unpack a little bit about why I am this way. And I was wondering in your observation, and I, I, I read this in the book and so it's a vague, I should have written it down, but like, is there some kind of, you know, relationship between people who are really high achieving are they, you know, conversely, proportionally that out of integrity when they start? Yeah, actually. And I, as I said, I test my methods and my ideas on a broad range of people because I was, I, my doctorate is in sociology. So I want everything to be tested. And I've looked at, you know, I've worked with homeless people. I've worked with addicts on the street and I've worked with some of the most high achieving people in the world. So CEOs of huge companies, political leaders, leaders in the fields of arts and and entertainment like yourself. And yep, every single one of them who's achieved a very high level and is still seeking something truer, they are pulled apart from their integrity at such an intense level. And my belief is that once you've gotten to the place in the culture where people will say, here's your ticket. Like for me, it was my Harvard degrees. Okay, here's your ticket. For you, it's being a successful entertainer. (laughs) Once you get that, it's like your ticket to cultural legitimacy. So you can wave your ticket around and say, I believe in enlightenment. And people say, oh, that's just, you're an idiot. And I'm like, yeah, well, three Harvard degrees tell me different. Or you can say, I really matter. And they can say, no, you don't. And you say, "Uh uh-huh, you want to see my awards? Ha ha ha. Only we don't. (laughs) We don't say that. What we do is we say, well, here I am in a place where other people want to be. And what I can tell you for sure is that when you get there, that by itself is not happiness. At the beginning of the divine comedy, Dante thinks he can get out of hell by climbing this mountain, but it's really a mountain that's full of 
dangerous animals and traps. And it's because he hasn't gone to his integrity yet. Once he goes through the inferno, he climbs another mountain. And this is the mountain, it's purgatory, which means to cleanse. And what I think you're doing now, Gwyneth, is you're cleaning out the system. So there was this part of you that's smart, talented, driven. You achieved, 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 thought it would make you happy. Okay, wait, I'm at the top of the hill and I'm not happy. Okay. And if you're as brave as Dante, you go down in again and you say, I am willing to go through hell to be happy. I've been to the top of that mountain and it's not the right mountain. But as you go to the top of the other mountain, droves of people will follow you because they're Gwyneth Paltrow fans, right? So you've paid your dues for your mission in life by achieving your little head off and not being made happy. But having achieved your little head off, when you become happy, you will have a louder voice and you will have more attention on your heart and your soul and more people can be healed and taught by you than if you had never been driven to achieve. Right. You really, really put a positive spin on things. I really appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) You touched on something there about going through a cleansing. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you call in the book, integrity cleansing, because I, I would love to understand better, you know, what is that and, and how do we do it? And is it that we have to go back through our lives and make amends to ourselves? Like what, how does one do that? The first thing I would do is seek stillness because the truth rises in stillness. And this is why Pascal said, Blaise Pascal said that, that all our misery comes from the fact that we are, are unable to sit quietly alone in a room. And the reason most people are very frightened to sit quietly alone in a room, because as you do, the truth rises. And suddenly, you know, if you sit quietly for an hour and don't control what you're thinking, don't perseverate on anything, don't fixate on anything, what happens is my marriage isn't working, comes to the top, or I really hate my job, or I cannot go on like this. Something's got to change. And that's really scary. And if you continue to be still with it, you don't always have to sit. I do, but you don't have to go for a walk, do something that stills your mind and then write down the truths that come into your mind. And you don't have to solve them like problems. You just notice the truth and tell it to one person yourself. And then there will come a moment when someone's in front of you who you know, because you've been telling the truth to yourself, that you want to tell this person your truth. And so you start to share your truth. Now you're cleaner. As my ex-addict friend used to say, your side of the street is clean. As you start telling more and more of the truth, most of the time, because your instincts are good, you'll be okay with it. Sometimes the people, you'll have misjudged them and they'll give you a response you don't like and you have to get hurt and go back in. But if you continue to be still and tell the truth to yourself, it all unspools because as Andrew Newberg says, our brains are biologically programmed to go to the truth. So as you sit quietly, you start to notice, whoa, that thought is frightening, but that thought is true. And you stop lying first to yourself, then to the world. And then you do it, damn the torpedoes, 
at a certain point, you, you fall in love with the truth so deeply that no matter what anyone else says, you're going to live in it. And at that point, you become a different force in the world. You become an agent of awakening, even if you're not fully awake yourself. That's amazing. I think I went through my sort of first chunk of this about 10 years ago. And now I feel like I did finally, as I said, get to a place where I feel for the most part, I am in integrity. And that's why when people attack me or misunderstand me or whatever, I don't, it doesn't hurt the way that it did when I was out of integrity. Why, why is that? Because the truth is a, a solid place to stand. Like during the time that I was leaving Mormonism and everything, I got death threats and well, related to the whole, my father was a big cheese in the church and everything. And as I said, my life blew apart and I became well for the first time. Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about is finding reality. The truth is just how the world really is. When you're in reality, things simply work. That's why a machine that's in integrity can fly an airplane. When you get into integrity, other people might not like it, but you are harmonizing with reality now. Mm. And that feels great to the body, to the heart, to the soul. And ultimately, though it's always late to the party, it's also true for the mind. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're in that process and you're getting stronger and stronger and you're, you're on the cleanse, you're on the integrity path or you wouldn't be having me on this podcast. <laughs> no, I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> um, so something that I've observed lately is that my kids can be triggering to me in certain ways, like, and, you know, I've been obviously psychoanalyzed and done a lot of work myself. So I'm like, oh, is that because, you know, they're displaying some aspect of me that I don't like, but in the book, you talk about us being grumpy or short tempered as a sign that we are out of integrity. So I just wanted to kind of double click on that and ask like, where, where on the map does that point us? Like if it's with our kids and there is some level of projection there, right. like what are those triggers telling us? Okay. So to do this, it's hypothetically very complex and uninteresting, but when you work with real life situations, it's very interesting and revealing. So can you think of a time recently, and you don't have to tell me about it, but think of a time when one, let's be simple and say one of your kids hit your trigger, right? Yeah. So how did you react? Did you retreat? Did you lecture? Did you, what did you do? Oh, I, with one of my kids, I think it is like the similar kind of, we have similar bad qualities. And so mm -hmm. in specific instance, they did something and I felt it was more of like a physical response of, I didn't, I, I try not to get triggered verbally, but you know, inside I felt like anger and disappointment. And it, I had an, I had an emo, I had a, a reaction that surprised me. Okay. So now play a little fantasy game with me. We're going to take Gwyneth in that moment. You're going to freeze that emotion state. Okay. Now take you away from the presence of other people. So we're going to go take you into your comfortable room by yourself. And I'm going to sit you down and say, here's triggered Gwyneth. And here's the part of Gwyneth that is always calm, always compassionate, always curious, not really wrapped up in the world, but 
connected deeply, deeply, deeply to what she knows is right for her at a very deep level. Now, so separate those two. So Gwyneth, the higher self is in one chair and Gwyneth triggered by a kid is in the other chair. Compassionately looking at the part of you that's triggered, can you, what is the kindest thing you could say to that woman? What does she need to hear? You know, I, I see her kind of like wanting help being diffused. And I think it has something to do with not having to be the soul. Like it's something to do with survival and powering through and not, not being able to relent into the softness of her own. So she's lost softness. Mm -hmm. She's not familiar with a way in my family, we call the soft planet. (laughs) So very sensitive person who's who didn't have adequate softness and is now in a stress situation and what the way to solve the situation your child will do what they're going to do and all you have to do is tell them your truth in order to be the best mother you can be but to get to your truth you have to feel the pain mm. and tell yourself the truth which is she needs softness mm. not your child Gwyneth yeah. you need love, you need softness, you need to genuinely say to yourself, sweetheart, you are perfect. And I know that sounds really sappy. But when you've been your whole life achieving your brains out, and you still are angry and punitive toward yourself, yeah, you're lying, you're lying. And you have to bring the soft planet. And you have to envelop the hurt Gwyneth in the soft planet energy. And it could be for other people, it could be, you need to get a spine and speak up for yourself. It's not always mushy gushy. Right. But what came out of your experience is, and let me ask you another thing. How old does the triggered one feel? How old does she feel? You get inside her head, you know, young, like yeah. 10, 11. Yeah. So that's when you were forced away from your truth. And then you have no place to stand when your child is in a difficult situation because you've got to get back to reality yes. and reality was that you deserve to be completely accepted and welcomed at a time when you were not accepted and welcomed. And that happens to all of us. And the cure for it is to lose that separation from self and include ourselves in our own love. And then you heal and then your kid does something and it doesn't trigger you. Or you know just what to say. That's very, very helpful. And I think as a parent, you know, it's funny because I think we we try so hard not to do the set of things that hurt us by our parents and try right. to index in the things that, you know, our parents did that really were great. And uh-huh. yet sometimes we can be out of integrity, right, by by following that rubric. Exactly. Yeah. Cause it's not true for us, for them. It may have been true for you. You know, it's not up to us to figure out anyone else's truth, but where we're separated from our own truth. And then we get into it with our kids, we're going to get screwed up <laughs> and it won't work very well. And that's okay because nobody's perfect and, and nobody's parents were perfect. And this is not about blame. It's about regaining our original innocence and then you can look at your parents whatever mistakes they make have made and say oh you get to be in the soft planet too you you suffering soul i see that now oh it must it must have sucked to be you in that moment Mm -hmm. and then everything this is why it's sort of contagious 
this, this return to integrity, it gives innocence to, our, to us. And then that innocence rolls forward and affects us generations going forward and generations going back. Martha, thank you so much. This was the most illuminating hour. You are just COVID hug. <laughs> hug through the screen. You are just extraordinary. I think this is this has been one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had on this podcast. Thanks for tuning into my chat with Martha Beck. Her new book, The Way of Integrity, is publishing on April 13th. It's really stunning, and I highly recommend you pre-order a copy today. That's a wrap on today's episode. If you have a second, please rate, review, and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Don't forget to share the Goop podcast with a friend. And in the meantime, for more, you can check out goop.com slash the podcast.